Hello, 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 everyone. We have a great show for you this week. We just got back from Wind Energy Hamburg, so we're going to have a, a big review of all the sights and sounds from Wind Energy Hamburg and the things that we learned. Uh, so one of the other things we're going to dive into this week is uh, some of the big news from some of the OEMs. Uh, a lot of layoffs happening. So GE doing some layoffs, uh, some executives leaving uh, Siemens Gamesa as well, and what that means to the general wind industry. I'm Alan Hall, president of WeatherGuard Lightning Tech, and I'm here with my good friend from Wind Power Lab, Joel Saxum. Rosemary's on maternity leave. And you are listening to the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. All right, Joe, we just got back from Wind Energy Hamburg, where we had a really busy show. And I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw at the show and some of the new technology and impressions from <laughs> that big conference. Yeah, you know, I've been around multiple industries of uh, trade shows for the last 10, 15 years, and I have never seen one that busy. Um, I think the preliminary numbers, we saw 30,000 people. Um the size of the show and all the different conferences and, you know, in areas, I mean, it was, Hey, I want to go over to the Danish pavilion and it's a 10 minute walk across this place. That's how big it is to get there. Um, and you know, us as Americans, as opposed to the Europeans, not used to walking as much. Um, so that, that, that factored in, um, but you know, just, just to kind of give the, uh, the listeners and and the YouTube viewers here, just a, a little bit of a thought. This is how it was. Sometimes we were carrying, Go somewhere to get a cup of coffee to one of the little canteens or whatever. Try to walk back to go have a meeting or, or go to a booth or chat with someone else. And you had to specifically pick which aisle you would walk down to avoid the people so you didn't spill your coffee. That's how busy it was. Yeah. Um, so great turnout in Hamburg uh, for everybody that was there. And it was um, the same from everybody I talked to. Uh, every busy or every booth was busy. I had uh, a couple of times, you know, I tried to talk to some of the the guests we've had on the show in the past, you know, the rope robotics guys and stuff and, yeah. and some of the other cool tech companies, blade bug and whatnot. And you would walk by their booth four or five times and they were busy every time. And you didn't want to, you know, I don't want barge in. They might be talking to a customer who's actually going to, you know, buy some services. So I don't want, I don't want to mess with that. But, um, then the the conference was so big that you didn't have, after walking by a few times and checking in, you didn't have time to go and find them again and, and walk no. by because <laughs> you had other stuff to do. You know, I know that um, I personally was. We were there. Um, I was there in Hamburg from Monday through Friday. I think you were as well, Alan, and uh, on the yeah. floor, on the floor the whole week. Um, and I never even made it into the A halls. I didn't even see the, the the four of the halls there, so it was it was crazy. It was big time. The key points I saw out of Hamburg, because uh, I was trying to summarize it on the airplane ride home, which was seemed to be eternal. All those mm-hmm. long airplane rides home just never seemed to end. Uh, there's a, there's a renewed focus on cost reduction in yeah. terms of services provided. Mm-hmm. You, well, the operators are really concerned about reducing their overall expenditures and simplifying a lot of the data that they're getting in and understanding what's happening with the products they have purchased. And mm-hmm. the, if you walk down the highways of the convention, you, you just saw application after application after application of 
learn about your blades. Let's let's fix leading edge erosion. Let's understand the structure of the blades. Let's monitor the blades. Let's have a continuous monitoring system. Let's let's just steer the wind turbines into the wind. <laughs> those, yeah. those kind of solutions. And they were everywhere. And the drone inspections were everywhere. There was every company. I, I lost track. Right. Yeah. Every every company, every country has their own spin on it. And in, now with offshore, did you see some of the larger drones that are payload carriers for offshore? Really cool. Really cool. There was one that was it was bigger than me. It was taller than I was. It's bigger than a car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of them was was huge, right? Yeah. It was it was almost airplane size. I guess it would be declared an airplane in some yeah, sense. It was pilotless, but yeah, it, yeah. it would take hundreds of kilograms. I'm assuming uh, to an offshore site, and, yeah. and to think about those things being in place. As it, as probably, probably needed strike tape. Hey, that it drone probably, probably would, needs strike yeah. tape. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that, the, a drone that size is going to get struck. It will at yeah, some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a couple of things that, to, that it shines. So when you look at something like that, you see the a bunch of little micros. They make up a macro. Yeah. And the yeah. part of that macro is, uh, it, I see it as twofold. So one of them is, uh, you know, we saw the absence of some of the big OEMs, right? So yes. GE wasn't there. Um, I... I can't say that Vestas wasn't there, but I didn't see them there. Um, so when you see the OEMs and you get constantly hearing in the news, all the, we want to cut costs, we want to lower the, you know, the levelized cost of energy. We're going to bring it down. Um, I saw an article this morning. I was reading some LinkedIn stuff that said, uh, you know, the problem with um, our turbines, this was from one of the OEMs or our, our business model is that our turbines aren't expensive enough to, to uh, fulfill the business model. So, you're starting to see that that cost reduction thing, and then and then I know there was a focus on at the event from the um, uh, conference uh, creators of what does your supply chain issues look like? What do your supply chain issues yeah. look like? So that was a big thing. So lowering costs, sure. supply chain issues, um, but seeing what what you're talking about with um, some of these other um, companies, they're reducing costs, efficiency, optimizing things. That is, I'm going to go with twofold, right? Because one of them was the, the lack of the OEMs and some other things, everybody trying to reduce cost. But there's a difference, and this is what we see in Wind Power Lab all the time as we're dealing with people on both sides of the pond. European operators, European companies, European wind companies tend to lean more towards being prudent operators and doing things in a structured and uh, meticulous manner. Uh, think German engineering, you know, everybody says Mercedes Benz uh, is fantastic. You know, think right. that that same that or a Volvo or something like that. Think that that same mindset also goes into their daily operations. So they're consistently thinking and wanting to understand their assets and how they're at at a little bit of a higher level than we do in the U.S. In the U.S., a lot of times it's like build it, turn it on. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out as it goes. Uh, you know, we have, right. of course, everybody has programs and, and policies and procedures in place about how they do things, but there's just not as, sure. um, as developed or as stringent as they are in Europe. So you saw that more, it was a European show. They, they, they called the global onshore and offshore energy, but I'm, I think you and I can speak the same that, um, as Americans, we're used to usually being in the majority hearing our American English, but over there it was <laughs> not so much. Right. No. Um, not a lot of American companies, not a lot of American no. people. Um, so no, a surprising lack of American companies. Um, would have loved to see some more of that, bringing that global thing back and forth. So right again, I, I kind of shift back into, uh, we were having strategy sessions here this week, talking within our company and talking about how do we 
or how are we, not how do we, but how are we bringing that prudent operator mindset uh, to the U.S. To, to, you know, the goal is to lower the levelized cost of energy in all the wind projects, keep them operating efficiently. Yep. And you yep. can see that European operators are doing it a little bit more proactively versus reactively like we are in the U.S. So, and that was shown at the show. It's shown by the markets will, will always depict what's, what's going to be, right? So if the oper- or the opportunities to create a business to optimize are in Europe, now, uh, as the as the the cookie crumbles, I believe you will see that hopefully in the next one, two, five, ten years in the U.S. start to trickle over. Sure, and you're right about the Americans. How few there were. In fact, I think you commented to me at first that if you walk around all the different conference halls, you see the Danish pavilion, and there was like a hundred companies inside yeah. of there in the yeah. Finland, Scotland, Norway. The UK had a big exhibit, and then mm-hmm. America didn't have a presence really to speak of. Yeah. Uh, 3M was there, which I is an international company, and then there's mm-hmm. a little bit of US companies. But in, in total, you think, well, the, the vast majority of wind turbines in the near future are probably going to be US-based, probably. Yeah. But the, the American companies didn't see, either they didn't have the funding to go to that conference, or they didn't think it was worthwhile. And they should have been there. <laughs> they should have, should been, have there. been there. I mean, but it also it also shows us something that we know intimately as well, Alan, is that there isn't very many um, aftermarket or supporting companies. Besides, I mean, there's a lot of blade companies and service companies and stuff like that. They don't really sure. have a business over here that makes sense. But I mean, there isn't a you know someone doing aerodynamic upgrades or LEP like that's not a big thing. It nope. doesn't come from the U.S. right now. It's come from it has come from Europe, so it makes sense there. But it, what we're saying here is, man, it would be nice if we started to see some more of those startups and some solutions coming from from the U.S. because there is a massive local market for it. I mean, that's 71,000 and counting turbines. Right, yeah. And with the offshore picking up, you're going to have yeah. larger issues of maintenance, maintaining all those wind turbines. Now, I think one of the things I've noticed, having spent a little bit of time on the interwebs before going over to Hamburg, was I was starting to look at what the U.S. startups were in wind. And surprisingly, they're almost all software-based. It, it's so like there's a Silicon Valley two, mentality. Yeah, I would say twofold. I would say uh, there is a land grab to be had in floating offshore wind right now. So, so it's yeah. a lot of lot of those True. ideas, but that's a global thing. But software, mm-hmm. yes, and software. And I think software, it, it'll, it speaks to the... You're exactly right. The Silicon Valley, anybody that wants to do a startup and make some money mm-hmm. uh, and get some investment, software is is where people are always looking. So, so that makes sense. But the, the floating wind, that was a big conversation at the show that I heard and had a few times because, okay, right now we know offshore is a big play and it's going to happen globally, but offshore fixed bottom, the market's already dominated. We know the players, yeah. right? Yes. We, we know the turbines. We know, we know there's the Vestas, the Siemens, the GE, well, and Siemens and GE can box it out for whatever, but um, we know the models. We know the turbines. We know how we install them when we move forward. Now there is floating offshore wind coming, and we have talked on the show with Rosemary and, 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 and the two of us about vertical axis wind turbines and this turbine and this turbine platform, and this is it a spar, is it the X1 wind, is it this, is it that? So there's some of those companies coming from the U.S., which is nice to see. You know, I know uh, there's a couple of Houston-based startups looking at some of those things. So 
but it's a land grab, right? Nobody has settled right. on, and this was the conversations over there. Nobody's settled on what is the what is the one, and I think there's an opportunity in offshore floating wind for it not to be the one or the two or the three. There might be the ten, uh, but it depends on local content, uh, the ability to produce things, and then where you are, right? If they're gonna throw some off the coast of California, you may not have the same model of the as the coast of Norway or the coast of France or you know wherever right. other deep water locations there are. So. Um, it's, that's a really exciting to follow, um, especially for, you know, uh, turbine nerds like ourselves. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. There's going to be somebody that pops forward. But, yeah, that was that was a big, big concept there as well. Well, the, the, the ratio of offshore to onshore at the conference, I thought, was about 20% offshore in terms of just number of companies to 80% mm-hmm. onshore. That's what it felt like to be just walking around. But. I will say offshore was sort of segregated in a particular area there. Yeah. There were a lot of people there in the offshore space. Yeah. Uh, just because it's a massive, massive things, right? The ships are big. Yeah. The wind turbines are big. <laughs> everything's just bigger. And it seemed to attract a lot of attention over, over in Hamburg. Well, they, the difference there from what you see in the U.S. is very, think ACP conference and the American Clean Power Conference in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Floating or not just floating offshore, sorry, offshore is coming on. It will come on strong, but the vessel companies aren't here and the support companies aren't here yet. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. companies that are that we saw in Hamburg and that had a kind of a section like B, B, four, five, five six, or something. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a lot of big vessel companies and offshore companies. I saw some friends that I met from my past in oil and gas offshore, but it's because ah. they support the. They support the wind network, right? They support the wind industry. But you see, you know, the ESVACs and the DEMAs and stuff like these big vessel companies. And not only are they yeah. in wind, but they're in everything else. So they have the money for these big booths. And you walk in and you see the De- the DEME booth or the Pascalis booth. And there's big, bright colors, fantastic looking things. So they have a presence as well um, because they've got they, their marketing budgets are a little bit bigger than ours. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's a cool thing as, as to see what's coming as an American, uh, uh, that we don't have the offshore wind quite yet. You know, like I, I work for a Danish company, so we're, we're deep into the, the offshore wind territory. So I, I have a lot more exposure to it as a wind professional than a lot of people in the Americas do. Um, so I've seen a lot of this, um, but, uh, it's exciting to think that here in a few years, as the wind industry grows in the U S that that may be coming as well, uh, to our side of the pond. Ping Monitor is a continuous blade monitoring system which allows wind farm operators to stay ahead of maintenance. Wind techs can often hear damaged blades from the ground, but they can't continuously monitor all the turbines. They also can't calculate how bad the damage is or how fast it's propagating based on sound, but Ping can. Ping's acoustic system is being used on over 600 turbines worldwide. It allows operators to discover damage before it gets expensive and prioritize maintenance needs across their fleet, and it pays for itself the first time it identifies serious damage or saves you from doing an unnecessary visual inspection. Stop flying blind out there. Get Ping's ears on your turbines. Learn more at pingmonitor.co. So larger American companies that were over in Hamburg seem to have wind as only one piece of a larger portfolio. Drone base being a really good example of that, where they're doing solar inspections, industrial inspections, utility inspections. And, and wind, obviously, is one of the things that they do well. 
uh, that that creates a portfolio, provides some stability there. And that seems to be a common theme in the American wind energy focused companies is you got this little narrow window of time to do things. There's like a six month window and then you got the six month off time. You have the cyclical arrangement. So you have to be broader where when we when I looked at European companies, they didn't seem to have that same perspective. Uh, not to say they weren't doing those things, but when they were at that show, they were selling wind and that was the focus of their booth was just wind, 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 where American companies tend to be like, we can do anything. <laughs> you have a job, right. we can probably do it. Uh, yeah. Is that just a difference in mindset or is that just a, the way the economies are set up? What What's driving the American companies to, to, to go vertical like that so fast and to, and to cover more areas? Is wind just not as important as the United States as it is to, to Europe at this point? Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's cultural, a lot of it, right? So in, in America, it's capitalism, you know, the free market. So we're, we're going to take and grab and make as much money as we can anywhere. Now, sometimes if you, if you get an influx of cash and you have good plans and you can hire the right managers, you can do that. Um, sometimes scaling very quickly into a lot of different verticals uh, is a death sentence, right? And that doesn't right. always end up well. Um, in Europe, uh, the companies tend to be more focused, more structure driven, more process driven, um, slower growth. I think you can just, again, it's, you can look at the, the economies. Yeah. I think so. I, I think it's more of a cultural thing, but I mean, as well, if you think about this in the U S um, while our wind industry is very large, uh, a lot of it's localized. Um, so you, you know, people that are in, in, uh, I, I'm from Northern Wisconsin most of them have never even seen a wind turbine. They don't even know they exist. They're like, ah, oh, those, those, those things out there, you know? So, but in Europe, it's such a part of there. It's more mature. The industry's more mature, right? The industry has sure. been around for, and you know, like I'm sitting here right now in Copenhagen, the Denmark has had offshore wind farms for 30 years. They've had onshore wind farms at a, at a utility scale since the 1970s. Um, so it's just a mature, more of a mature concept where it's not like, oh, let's slide into wind like in the U.S. and we could try a little bit here. It's here so that we are a wind company because we know that this industry is here. It's established. It's here to stay. We can base a whole company on this thing. Right. Also, some of it driven by legislation, right? You have to inspect a German turbine every six months, the LPS system, by ropes, by law, mm. Right. Same thing in France, yeah. but every, but every, I think France is every year or two. So the legislation also forces them to, to do things. And, it, and likewise, kind of speaking about a few minutes ago, the difference in the culture of the operators and how they're a little bit more specifically trying to make sure everything's optimized and their, you know, uh, their budgets are, are, are correctly aligned with exactly what they need to do. And it, a little bit more process and structural driven kind of drives, um, not only individual business models, but then again, micro versus macro. If the individual business models all kind of look the same, the industry starts to look the same. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think key takeaways here for American companies, uh, what are your thoughts? You know, what, what would you say if you're an American company mm -hmm. involved in wind at the moment, what would you pull out of that Hamburg show? Uh, I would say to to learn from some of the, the European companies, it, to me, uh, I refer to the term, and I've been guilty of it in business adventures in the past, of flock shooting. Um, if you if you've ever if you've ever been if you've ever been duck or goose hunting, and there's a ton ton of them in the sky, and you get excited, and you just start going, boom, 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 and you start shooting at all of them. A lot of times, you don't get any of them, right? right. So my my advice would be pick out one duck or one goose, knock it down, and do it well. 
right? So yeah. there's there's some companies yeah. in the U.S. that I have that we've seen, you know, in our travels, uh, of course, together, and then uh, in you know market research and stuff that are doing great, great things um, on individual markets. There's some that are doing great on on large markets, but for the most part, what you see is, or what a successful path looks like to me is, you get into a sector. You do one thing really well until you can build a base of a company. And then if you want to expand, go ahead. But put the right people in a plan in place and do it in a structured manner. Don't just, we're going to do wind and, and decide you're going to be the end-all be-all for everybody because it's usually that doesn't end up well. Right. So, and uh, yeah, I th- you're right on that. And I think going to conferences like this Hamburg conference and there's others around the world is super important to get a sense of what's happening in the wind industry. Without that, I think you lose touch as to where the future lies uh, because you're, you're right. Europe is so far ahead of America at this point. Yeah. We're just following and it's good to get, get that downward flow and see what's happening in, on the real hot spot over in Europe. Yeah. So I think one of the things I would, if I was, if I had the budget for it, of course, that's a big thing. But if I was a, a, a wind company in the Midwest and I was you know, doing a million dollars worth a year of work uh, and I wanted to see what the next step was or, or which direction we should go or what's out there, I would take the trip to uh, one of these larger European uh, wind conferences just to see, I mean, because you never know what thing you could ex- discover there. This is one side. Right. You never know what thing you could discover that yep. could be your edge back in the U.S. You might run into a new LEP coding that nobody's using in the U.S., but it's just changes your world. So that might right. be one. That's one side of it. But the other side is just to see what the market is doing. What what these other companies are doing is a little market research project. I think that is there's a lot of value in that. And um, I, I'm a little bit different than a lot of uh, Americans, American companies, or American business people because I've worked in uh, in international businesses and off oil and gas and, and wind and stuff. So I have a better picture or, or enjoy the picture of. Um, seeing what others are doing and bringing that back um, as opposed to we can do it better because we're we're Americans. That that happens sometimes too. Um, So I I encourage people to spread, spread their eyes open a little bit, take the, take some of the, this off and, and look at that. And I think that they're, it's the same thing we talk about when encouraging this offshore wind, like we don't need to recreate the wheel. Just listen to our, our counterparts that have been doing it for a long time over here. Lightning is an act of God, but lightning damage is not actually is very predictable and very preventable. Strike Tape is a lightning protection system upgrade for wind turbines made by WeatherGuard. It dramatically improves the effectiveness of the factory LPS so you can stop worrying about lightning damage. Visit weatherguardwind.com to learn more, read a case study, and schedule a call today. All right, Joel, with any conference, all the good news happens before the conference or during the conference, you you sign big sales deals, you announce a new wind turbine. And then after the conference is when you unload all the bad news. And there's been a series of really bad news pieces coming out. And it's mostly, I think it's mostly US-based. It's some European-based, but it feels like it's it's US-based at the moment. Uh, Siemens Gamesa is going to lay off about 2,900 people. And because they're seeing a market downturn. And I think that's mostly related to U.S. installations and new wind installations in the U.S. It seems to be where that's going. And and the head of uh, Siemens Gamesa onshore uh, left today, today we're recording. That's that's news. That seems to be a pretty good shakeup there. I know they've had some trouble with the five megawatt machines and they're trying to resolve that. And 
I, I guess they're, they're reshuffling the way they organize their businesses. It, it sounds like Siemens Gamesa is trying to create more regional-based businesses, like let's handle Europe one way, let's do America another, mm-hmm. let's do South America. So that, that that's an interesting development. And then GE announced today, this morning, uh, that they're reducing their U.S. onshore staff by 20%. And the head of GE Renewables over in France, I, it sounds like, resigned yesterday uh, from yeah. just some LinkedIn news we saw. So all of a sudden, we're just seeing this massive, what I call massive downturn. And we see numbers like 20%. That's, that's, a, that's a big number of reductions. And that does not bode well. <laughs> Uh, Joel, what are some of your thoughts just seeing these things happen sequentially in, in, a, in, a, in the last five days? I, th- I think that, of course, like you said, it's the bad news after the big conference. Nobody wants to be put that out beforehand and be the, the talk of the town. Right. Uh, 30,000 people together in one spot talking about what's going on. But right. I, I, if you look at big business as well, wind, renewable energies aside, they go through cycles, right? So, But some of this, I believe, is is reactionary from what the past cycle looks like. The last few years with the IRA ending in the U.S., of course, we know it's a huge market. Uh, the, the profitability of these companies has taken a dive. So when, yeah. soon, as soon as you change CEOs or what the, the goal of the CEO, it's not usually at a 40,000-person company, it's not usually like, we, we should make sure that everybody has the right amount of days off. Their first thing, it's not that. The first thing is make us profitable again, Right. So right. uh, when you have when you're forced to that sometimes companies use things as an excuse. I know there was a lot of companies use COVID as an excuse to do layoffs. Um, I, I, while that's not a very yeah. fun reality, it's a reality. So I think that some of these renewable companies have used this downturn that happened, you know, during COVID, and then with um, you know as the, the, the IRA bill hadn't been passed as this this downturn. So now right. they're looking at the they're looking at the trailing edge. If they were if if you're looking at what's going on next. They're going to come back up, but they're going to come sure, back up. Yes. They're going to come back up healthier, and that really bodes well. Like so, when you when you talk Wall Street guys, and that's where all this stuff lies lies at. Um, twenty, you're laying off twenty nine hundred workers. Say this is the Siemens Camesa case. If you're laying off twenty nine hundred workers as uh, rate as you're looking to be getting more sales because we're starting to hear that kind of whispers in the market. Like it's been, right. you know, a month since these things have passed. I've been talking to some due diligence people and stuff They're like, man, the requests for tenders are starting to flood in for consultants and advisors on these new projects. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to come with a lot of orders for these guys. And if they've just laid off, they wouldn't say, we're going to talk dumb numbers, right? Say you were at a hundred dollars and you just laid off and now your, your spend is only $80 and then there's a bunch more orders coming in and you're going to go to $110 of profit. Now, all of a sudden, you're up 30 some odd percent versus what would have been 10 percent. And that looks good right. for for all the stakeholders. So I think there's some shakeups here because I think but I also think there needs to be um, what we've been hearing for a long time is. I read an article again this morning from an OEM. Our prices are not in line with what they need to be in the market to support the costs of building them. Uh, and then that you have these OEMs that are making, trying to make the money off the service contracts. Well, that's not a good way to right, do business, sure. you know? Well, is, is it driven by the, the realities of what 
components are costing, you know, say, say a GE. So GE, you know, subs out a lot of the components for their wind turbines. And it seems like the discussion from GE and some of the announcements they've made is like our supplier costs are going up and, and we're getting clamped from the operators and what we can sell these things for. So we're kind of stuck in the middle. We're getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. Now, the discussion on LinkedIn yesterday was really fascinating because there was just a lot of going back and forth uh, by people sort of in the periphery of the wind business saying, why are, why is GE losing money? Why is Siemens Gamesa losing money? Why don't they just establish a baseline for the pricing and, and just every, just raise the pricing kind of like airline tickets goes, <laughs> you know, when one airline raises the prices, all the other ones follow and they kind of go up that ladder. Right. So they're all marginally profitable. Why are they not doing that in wind? And I, I, I think the answer is because there's other competitors in that marketplace besides sort of the big three or four, mm-hmm. and they're feeling that pressure from underneath. Did you, did you I kind of, I sensed that at, at the Hamburg show, actually, that you feel like, okay, they have a number of Chinese manufacturers. They're, they're, they're getting pretty good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Do they feel that pressure of the, the, those Chinese lower cost wind turbines entering the European market, possibly entering the United States market? And they, the GEs of the world feel like they can't raise prices because there's this underlying presence of, well, I'm sure from the operators, hey, I, I'll just buy a wind turbine in China. Is, yeah, is that the scenario? That's the that's one of them. I think that's the shark, one of the sharks in the water, right? Yeah. Uh, just kind of circling there like, a, you know, you want to think – we had this conversation actually, I think, when we were in Hamburg with a with a group of people about um, when do we believe we'll see Chinese manufactured turbines popping up in the U.S. And right. I think it's it's all dependent on there's the, the conversations around price point. One of the numbers right. I've heard is, or one of the numbers we know is uh, onshore million dollars a megawatt to install a turbine. Right. One of, yeah. And one of the numbers I've heard is three hundred thousand a megawatt to install a Chinese turbine. Well, that's not a little bit of money. That's a third of the price, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, I love my GMC truck, but if there was another truck that was just like it and it was a third of the price, not, you know, 10, 20%, I'd probably stick with my GMC, but a third of the price, that might get my head turned. So that's one of them. And I also, but I also think it's, there's a another conversation around uh, power generation costs. So if you're a utility and you have stakeholders to answer to, ratepayers and whoever else. If putting in the renewable energy development all of a sudden costs too much, well, then you're just going to build another natural gas plant. And I don't. Yeah. And I'm I'm saying that if that's that's armchair math and armchair thoughts. So don't take this for granted. But that's got to be another reason why they can't get too like you can't charge more than what it would be because ESG goals only go so far in a capital market. If it's right. controlled, if you're in a country that's controlled by the, you know, more legislation, government stuff, you have to put in renewables. That's one thing. But it, like I said, like I said ESG goals only go so far in, in the capital market. Right? The dollar right. is going to eventually rule all. Where you can get away with it, even if it's a little bit higher. But once it gets to a point where it's substantially higher or transparently higher, then people will be like, just build me another gas plant. Just, right, that's a thought. That's no, it's a, it's a very good thought because I was doing some research on it this week, and that's one of the issues that came up as well. It, wind turbines are, are competing against solar, right, and they're competing mm-hmm. against natural gas, particularly in the United States. 
that if if it costs too much to put a wind site in versus building a gas site, then what are we doing, right? And you're and you're right. At some point, the the accounting starts to take place. <laughs> so there's only so much you're going to be able to do. You want to have a obviously a diverse portfolio, but you're you're limited. You're, you're price cap limited. So what what are the OEMs going to do? Yeah, your your price cap limited. You're also kind of got you know with renewable energies. Why while we work in the industry and we we see a huge future for it, um, it's sure. a lot. A lot more difficult to install from a permit standpoint and a uh, yes. com- community buy-in standpoint. There's a lot more headaches around putting in uh, 100 turbines versus building a, a plant on 40 acres. So that's 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 another thought, and uh, there's an intrinsic issue there as well. Well, see, see, um, Mesa has been making that ar- argument for a number of months now, and I, I saw, I think it was during the show, they're making that same argument. The head of Siemens Gamesa was saying in Europe, "Look, guys." I know you. Everybody wants to have wind energy, and that's fantastic. We love that perspective, but the permitting is killing us. And that, yeah. and also the United States bit, which is their their operators are paying billions of dollars for these sites. You're killing us because all the operator money is being paid to the U.S. federal government and these leases, and we the OEMs are getting pennies. That doesn't seem quite right to us. And, that, and that's and that's a that's a generalized complaint I, you know I, i'm not so eloquent on the arguments here because there's a lot of nuances to it but i don't think the argument is really top level wrong i think that that is most likely correct and we, we're seeing it in the united states right now uh the offshore projects in the united states are held up because of permitting issues and regulatory issues so a lot of projects are getting delayed we saw some news articles about that and we'll talk about in subsequent episodes but some of these projects are getting delayed year or two and the 2030 dates going not going to be there that's not moving it's not moving anywhere yeah right so you're talking about basically you know when you had a year or two buffer 2028 was kind of the number you now we're up against 2030 like we'll be putting them in in december 30 30 31st december 32nd (laughs) on on you know to get to that 2030 goal and and that is, in most part, related to federal regulation and state regulation. Again, yeah, I mean, you think those little things don't matter to a, a big, huge company like GE or Siemens Gamesa, but they matter tremendously on sales. Yeah. You, you can't sell what isn't permitted. We, we were talking to someone about that. Uh, I was kind of I was complaining about the the processes and stuff in the U.S. and why we can't get these things done. And we mentioned some of the port facilities running at all these different barriers and stuff. And they said you. Know, well, what's a, what's a long delay? I was like, man, sometimes these things are like, Hey, plan for 2020 and they won't, and this is onshore. They won't, they won't pour their first foundation until 2024. And they're like four years. I'm like, yeah, they're like that's nothing. The guy was telling me, he's like, I've been looking at this wind farm for a client and it's been 10, 10 or 11 years. He said, I'm going to yeah. tell you how long it's been. They've changed the wind turbine model three different times because they went out of production during the process. I was like, yeah. oh, that's that's a problem. That's a big problem, right? Yeah. So uh, we're seeing that now on offshore wind. There's some announcements, and we'll talk about in subsequent episodes, where the operators are talking about getting bigger turbines. They're saying we're going to take a pause because we're looking at some some instead of looking at 13 to 15 megawatt machines, we're looking at 17 to 20. So if we just wait a year, we're going to get to 17 to 20. Well. You know, that's a massive improvement on productivity and the amount of energy you're going to produce. So those production tax credits start to roll in a little bit. You just do the numbers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay, that makes a lot more sense. But 
there, there comes a point of like, we need the damn energy. When are we going to get the energy up online? And who's going to who's going to call them on it and say, all right, guys, yeah, I know that there's always greener pastures somewhere else, but we got to go. And we haven't seen that push yet. Even in the Hamburg show, as much activity as there was, it didn't feel like there's this uh, push, I'm going to say politically, from the governments from uh, to, to, to finish these projects. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mm-hmm. not universal, but I think in the United States, I think that's pretty evident because it's so little activity and on the American companies over in Hamburg, it's non-existent for the most part. You know, from the American side, this is what I'd like to see. One of my biggest pet peeves in, in business and in life in general is when people say, we've got uh, this issue, this issue, this issue, this, and this issue, and we're mad about it. Cool. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? So, so like the same... Yeah, so the same thing in, in, in leadership in a company. If you want something done by leadership, what do you do? You you come to them with a structured presentation. Here's the problem. These are This is what we would like to see, and these are two possible solutions. Pick your middle one. That's the one you want, and give right. them the solution. So I would like to see, we talked about 87,000 new IRS agents to collect taxes in the U.S. Yeah. Can, we, can we get rid of 7,000 of them and turn them into people that will get our permits done. So like, so ACP right. as our, as our big ACP is at the, you know, they're going to the white house, they're doing all these things and they're doing, they yeah. do a great, great, great job of representing the industry. I believe um, they, they could do a little bit better, but you can always say they could do better. Um, right. I would like to see a committee, uh, a committee formed in ACP to put a doctrine together to hand to the administration to figure out how to get these permits done faster. And maybe they're doing this right yeah. now. I don't know. I'm not, you know what I mean? But that, advocates of green energy from every angle going to our government and saying, guys, this is what our, one of our big problems and our barriers to getting these things done. Here's right. the solution that we propose. Let's go forward with this. And I don't, I don't know right. what that solution is 100%, but it's something. And you would think that the politicians locally, particularly like uh, the GEs in the United States, which is, you know, those layoffs are going to affect people near me. That's going to be this sort of Schenectady, New York, uh, the South Carolina people the all the consultants and that, that feed those 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 sites are really going to get hammered on these um, on this downturn you think that the politicians would be listening to ACP a little bit and realizing like the, the bureaucracy they've set up is hurting the country it just is and I don't know how else to describe it it just is and if you think America is leading in wind energy technology, you are wrong. And I, I've heard politicians say the U.S. is leading the way. There is being in Hamburg. We're not even close to leading the way. We are twenty years behind in some cases of even getting to the point of making some of the components that I saw over in over in Hamburg. Yeah. We're just not there. Yeah, you're 100 percent correct. And it's it's more mature industry over here. Um, the people the general public believes in it more. Um, yeah. You know, true. even at ACP, just, I'm, and I'm going to conferences. And so this is a, a conference is a good way to get a view of an industry, no matter what the economy yeah. is doing at the time, right. you'll see it. So think about the size of, you know, the ACP conferences we went to last year, San Antonio, right. there was yeah. seven or seven or 8,000 people there. It was nice. Yeah. But of those seven or 8,000 people and, and of those um, exhibitors, some of those exhibitors are European. A lot of them are European. A lot of so them not are, even yeah. all the in, in and so you see like all the, you know, the Polytechs, the these guys that that, that are these sure. retrofit companies stuff. They're all European companies. So they're yeah. in over over in our. So even our conference is 
mostly or partially <laughs> mostly, European. Right. And it's not the other way, right? You go over there and it's just, I mean, like I said, at the beginning of this, this, this chat we are having today, Alan, it was mind blowing. I have never seen a trade show that busy. And I mean, I used to brag about OTC, the offshore technology conference in Houston. Now yeah. that brings in a lot of people, but I've, I've never had a problem walking down an aisle with a cup of coffee at OTC like I did here. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing because we we at at one of the dinners we were having, uh, yeah, there were some late nights in Hamburg, but we we were trying to figure out like where ACP fit into the scale of Hamburg, and I think ACP would fit into one of the halls of the eleven one of the eleven halls that they had in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. That's what tells you, yeah, you're like one tenth, roughly one tenth the size. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's we spent, but it's it's a little backwards, right? And it, even even the Europe, I, I think this is probably a good thing. And you see a lot of um, Danish companies, European companies establishing sites in the United States. That's smart. I think that's really yeah. smart. The time zone issue it. is always there. Yeah, they need to do that because that, that's where I think the future is. But are we going to see American companies also sort of step up? Because because in such a large country, it's, we just need a lot more people to do this. You know, here, here's a thought for you, Alan, as well. So you have – um, you have companies in the U.S. You're starting to see some conglomerations growing and becoming large organizations through M and A activity. And the one that, like some that come to my mind is like the Pierce Renewables family and yeah, uh, yeah, right and, and t- the Tachyon Group and stuff like that. Yep, yep. Most of them are focused on service companies. And now I know when you're talking in the VC or uh, PE, you know, private equity space. A lot of times there's a strategy there. We're going to, we're going to focus on the service company model or we're going to focus on this or focus on that. I wonder if at some point in time you might see someone with a lot of cash from the American side purchase a European company or two that is a product or company or service company. Right? Yes. You would think think that there's, there's a great, there's great value in it and it's going to be the ones, the right one. And I, I keep thinking the, uh, the, the kind of the, the, the sexy cool ones, the, the robotics, the erroneous, the ro- yeah. robotics, the, those kind of things that yeah. some, some, someone is going to pick one of them up and bring them and say, you're now a U.S. company. Um, but I, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I would think that's that how actually, some of those European companies are going to get here. That discussion actually happened. I was involved in a little bit of those and there is a much more of a poll because as you, as we see, there's, really three places in the United States where there's VC funding for renewables, Boston, Houston, and then Silicon Valley ish. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a big man, big draw to pull those companies somewhat out of Europe and put them in the Boston, Rhode Island area, put them in Houston, put them in, in California where they can operate and do some of the, bring some of that technology over and get the wind industry up and running at the scale it needs to get running in the United States. It, it wouldn't shock me. And I don't know if I talked to you about this, but the Swiss consulate, and so Switzerland ha- actually has put a consulate in Boston just to bring new companies, particularly in renewable energy, into Boston so they can get, get access to VC funding. A country has done that to Boston, right? I, I haven't seen that from anywhere else, but I don't. I think that's a really good idea. In fact, they have they have been at least aggressive in the last couple of years. I mean, they've been going through COVID here, but that's not a bad idea. And you, you got to wonder if that model, this is the Greentown Labs thing. Greentown Labs is in Boston, Houston, right? Why is that? That's where the VC money is for renewable energy. Right. You would th- they think the companies, the 
that have that new tech will be moving someone into the United States based on that's where the draw is going to be. But they have to be hesitant after Hamburg because I would be hesitant, too, because we didn't see a lot of American activity. GE was not at Hamburg. Yeah. LM Windpower was not in Hamburg. Crazy, right? They had people there. There yeah. were people walking the floor, but they didn't have a site. That, and that just seems unusual to me. Yeah, I think some of it is, um, you know, you, you could hear the conversation of a fly on the wall where this big old Siemens booth, a lot of spend, right. people all over, <laughs> coffee, you know, coffee baristas on there. And then be like, they're laying off 2,900 yeah. people. What is this? If you had, what, if GE right. would have had this big million dollar booth, you know, a couple oh, of years yeah. ago, G- GE had a 90 meter blade flying from the ceiling in, at Hamburg. Was, I mean, they spent money. Cool. And if you spent that kind of money, yeah, you spent that kind of money though. And then on the, the Monday after the show was over, you're like, yeah, we're getting rid of our 20, 20% of our workforce. It doesn't look Ooh. good to the industry. No, no, I, I'm with you on that, but it just seems like that we're at a very deep inflection point in wind. I think we saw it in Hamburg. I think we we saw it at ACP. When we were in San Antonio. We just didn't realize it. We yeah, thought ACP was the was the coolest, biggest thing we ever seen, and it just got trounced by Winter Jam. Yeah. not even close. Bad, bad, <laughs> yeah. yeah, bad. It was like like me stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson. Just, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That was it. It wouldn't be wouldn't be a battle. Um, I, I would say that the wind industry right now, from what we're seeing in a lot of, and we, like I said, you and I talk to a lot of people in the industry. We have a pretty pretty big net that we we gather information from. And I would say right now, it kind of feels like the whole thing is trudging in mud and it's not sure which way it wants to go. You know, yeah. it's not sure if it's going to hop up on top of the mud in a, a you know, on a surfboard or if it's going to get pulled out by something and be on dry land here soon. But it just kind of feels like nobody really knows what direction it's going. The, you know, the, all the talk yeah. and the speak is renewable, 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 and that's great. And it, I fully believe it will end up there, but the direction, how, how the money flows, what happens with the companies. It's, and it's a, you know, of course a big global problem. Um, it, of course, that, that's what we're here for. We're here to talk about it and understand it. So as we right. learn more, we'll share it. Yes. And we're going to have more to come. And then like we have, I think seven, eight interviews from Hamburg. We're going to be putting on those out. We're going to hopefully put out shorter pieces on LinkedIn and then have longer, the longer pieces as, as part of these episodes. So you can hear what the thoughts were from different companies that we're showing at Hamburg and get a sense of where that marketplace is. And I, I, if you go back and listen to what was happening at ACP here, you could actually hear those, the differences in the tone. Uh, yeah. So it would just stay tuned. You know, keep listening to uptime because we're going to bring you some of the latest things that are happening in wind, not mm-hmm. only in the United States, but also in Europe. So it's, it's, it's good to follow. That's going to do it for this week's uptime wind energy podcast. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment and give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe in the show notes below to Uptime Tech News, our weekly newsletter, as well as Rosemary's YouTube channel, Engineering with Rosie. And we'll see you here next week on the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast.